Good evening, everybody. Locked on Browns, episode 158. Uh, guys, look, a little bit of a layoff. I was a little bit under the weather. Um, as far as Sunday, the Super Bowl, did try to lay a little bit low for me, as many of you guys know, and I did post about it on Friday, on I mean, on Sunday on Twitter. Uh, my youngest daughter, it was her 10th birthday, uh, she was born 18 weeks premature, 1 pound, 6 ounces, 11 inches long. Um, she is what is known as a micro preemie. Um, she, when she first came out, she was taken to the NICU by what must have been 12 to 15 doctors in nurses. I was with her. My wife had to have a little surgery. Uh, they were trying to explain to me, you know, she had a 19% chance, and I said, excuse me. They said, no, no, not in a normal life, at a survival. So, you know, all kids' birthdays are big, you know, big numbers. You know, 10 is a huge birthday. Uh, but for my daughter, who all that she went through, you know, Sunday was kind of about her thing. Uh, we did watch the game, and as much as, you know, it was hard for me as a New Jersey guy to get into an Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl, I ended up getting really into it, which turned out to be an outstanding game. Uh, you know, congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, my guys, Michael Kiss, Benjamin Solick, the Locked On Eagles show. The guys do a fantastic job over there. So I would like to say, you know, for the first time, guys, follow the Locked On Eagles uh, coverage of your 2017 NFL World Champions. Uh, you know, Michael, Ben, they do a fantastic job. Guys, check out the show. Keep them in mind at all times. We're going to move right along here with some, you know, draft coverage here tonight. Um, one of my favorite guys, you know, as far as Browns related, uh, it's been tough to get him on here. Uh, he's got a family. I got a family, but it all worked out here tonight. Uh, does some work with Revenge of the Birds covering draft. Uh, had a long-running draft podcast associated with draft breakdown. Obviously, that's in a little bit of a hiatus right now. I'm sure Justin's got his next movie he's working on. But, Mr. Justin Higdon, buddy, how's everything going, bro? It's been going great, and happy birthday to your daughter. It's uh, always an amazing story when you talk about that. I have a daughter of my own, and so, uh, you know, whenever you tweet about that and talk about that, it's really it's really touching, you know, not to get too sappy, but it's it, I can't imagine what you and your family went through, so it's just great to be able to celebrate that 10th birthday, that milestone. And uh, as far as our, our Eagles friends on the Lockdown Eagles podcast, I'm just hoping that those guys celebrate in a little classier way than eating horse manure like i saw some people doing on uh, like i saw some guy doing on uh, video after the game on sunday night hopefully those guys steered clear of the horse crap and uh just enjoyed themselves and enjoyed that win it was an amazing game like you said yeah i think they're a little better than that and uh the funniest thing was is well everybody's like well why isn't the parade tuesday normally you know parades are you know two days after uh, you know, hopefully Philadelphia is going to be ready to actually have the parade on Thursday because it, it was just an absolute nuts and a crazy scene. But also, but getting, <laughs> but getting back to that, uh, guys, uh, Jake Burns, and it's funny that I brought up my daughter. Uh, Jake Burns, obviously been on the show many times, uh, one of the up-and-comer uh, Cleveland writers. Um, he actually went through a similar experience, uh, not as, you know, not as premature as, you know, my daughter. But his first son actually came to the world about seven weeks early this week. Uh, but, you know, Jake's got a healthy baby boy, and the funniest thing is, is, you know, he shares the same birthday as my daughter, but I was able to actually have a chance to pay it forward here, who was a guy about to become a first-time father, was a little bit nervous, you know, so we messaged him once through the week, you know, I kind of told him what, you know, things he needed to ask, things he wanted to hear, um, and actually, you know, he texted me before we got on here tonight, he's like, I had to go home and leave my baby at the hospital, but uh, to baby boy Burns, Jake and his beautiful wife, you know, congratulations, guys, all the best, stay patient, little baby will be home soon. And like I'll tell you, like Justin will tell you, uh, your days of sleeping are probably pretty much over for about 18 years, guys. So uh, enjoy it while you can. Uh, we're going to jump right in here, though. Uh, 
you know, we talked about the game, you know, all that stuff. It's out of the way here. Um, some breaking news before this all started here this evening. Um, Josh McDaniels, I'm not really sure exactly where he went or, you know, what exactly Robert Kraft sold him on. But, uh, you know, Indianapolis Colts are pretty much thought they were getting ready to hold a press conference. Uh, Josh McDaniels, uh, you know, basically, you know, left him at the altar. And he's going to remain with uh, the New England Patriots. And from all the dots that could be connected and everything you're hearing is, he is doing so with the future head coaching job of the New England Patriots. So, Justin, uh, you know, I know you're trying to put your kid to bed, but, uh, you know, it's, we can't get to, you know, nothing can ever go easy in the NFL, right? Yeah, it, it reminds me of Belichick when he went, uh, he was the Jets coach for a twice, minute. And then he, twice. He was the yeah, Jets head coach yeah. twice. <laughs> and then he ends up being uh, the Patriots coach, and we know how that's gone, you know, for a long time. So I, I really do, I think this says more about Belichick's future than about McDaniels being skittish about the Colts situation, although I don't think it's the greatest situation, the way the roster is constructed. Uh, Andrew Luck, nobody really is 100% sure what's going on with, with that, with the shoulder. But I think this is more of a thing where McDaniels feels comfortable in New England and feels like he's in position to transition to become their head coach, I, I would imagine, within the next couple of years. You know, I'm just guessing, but... Uh, I got to give props to Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com. He was the only guy who seemed to be on top of this thing throughout the day, and he, and he took a lot of grief on Twitter and from from some uh, Twitter accounts not trusting his sources. But it ended up Mike Florio ended up being correct that Josh McDaniels was waffling and ultimately decided to stay in New England. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of funny. And the thing, the first thing I'm thinking is, is you know, you know, first things first. This is a poor look for Josh McDaniels. So this better be a long run in New England that's coming for him because now pe people aren't going to trust him. They're not going to want to talk to him. Here was a guy, you know, it took him some years back in New England to kind of clean up the rep he had gotten as, you know, the young, cocky, young, young, cocky, punk head coach, you know, that didn't work out in Denver. So for all that he did and for him to bail the way he did today, so you better pray for him that this is a long run because, you know, I don't know if uh, anybody's going to be looking, you know, for you know, bring him in as a head coaching candidate. But the other thing is, and this is almost where you, you kind of worry about karma is, uh, in a year, if it's you know that much, Bill's gone, Tom Brady's gone. If I'm Robert Kraft, is my franchise ever going to be worth more money? You know, do you dump the franchise and run at that point, knowing that you're never going to be able to you know replicate what you had? So now here's Josh McDaniels with a new owner and you know a roster and you know. Obviously, Bill has not really cared about draft choices for years, so it's not like he left him a lot. You know, the old New England thing with Parcells back in the day is, you know, I want to shop for the groceries. I mean, he ain't even got a can of beans in the freaking pantry. So, you know, Josh McDaniels, be careful what you wish for, man. You know, it's going to be interesting the way that works out. Uh, we're going to get in to hear some draft talk. Um, you know, I'm going to ask Justin. We're going to start with some of Justin's favorites. But here's, guys, we, we've officially hit, you know, the craziest point, and this is a tweet that came across. I was walking in to pick up my daughter from dance. I'm not going to name the guy who tweeted it. But, I mean, it's just the fact of trying to sound like you're saying something when you're not saying anything at all. And, and here's the tweet. I spoke with a scout at length on Baker Mayfield. Here's some takeaways. His energy on the field is palpable, and players gravitate to him. He's a clear-cut leader. His accuracy, is his accuracy is legit. Has to learn not to get distracted by media, haters, everything going on around him. He's probably a top-six lock. Wow! Gotta tell you, man, you, you really brought the thunder with that tweet, dude. 
And other than the fact that you maybe mentioned that you spoke to a scout with it, I mean, come on, these are things we knew in November. So, guys, be careful what you're looking for. Be careful what you're hearing. Right, Justin? Yeah, I, I think it's funny. A lot of a lot of people talk to scouts, and there are many, many scouts per team all throughout the league. So to talk to yeah, to one scout, and, you know, th- there's always an air of skepticism for people like us. We hear a lot of things that end up not being true. So uh, w- even when somebody says, let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt and say he did talk to a scout, there are so many scouts and so many scouting opinions. And especially this time of year, you know, scouts like to like to talk to writers because it's one way for their opinion to get out there, even if only they're the, they're the only ones that know it's their own opinion. So this could be, um, you know, I, I don't I don't necessarily doubt that this guy heard what he heard, but yeah, I don't. I, that's nothing new. Uh, the only thing I will dispute is I do not think Baker Mayfield is a top six lock. I think there's a good chance he goes in the top six, but there's also a good chance he falls because there is that whole, you know, the NFL is an old boy network. Uh, Baker Mayfield's under six or under six foot one. And uh, he does have the off the field stuff. And I know that a lot of people bristle about the Manziel comparisons and I don't want to compare him uh, directly to Johnny Manziel because there was some substance abuse issues there. But what you do have are some things starting to trickle out, even during the Senior Bowl, about Baker Mayfield's attitude. In particular, it was coming from the Cleveland media. So this could be, you know, my read on it was Mayfield was short on time and maybe didn't have time to BS with reporters or talk to reporters the way they would have liked to. But by a couple of counts, he came across as not that approachable. And And Nate Ulrich from uh, Ohio.com, writes for what used to be the Akron Beacon Journal in the uh, Northeast Ohio area. He, he in particular, he really, really was careful with his words, but Nate said that he observed some interactions with Mayfield and some people who just kind of got rubbed the wrong way by the guy. So if, if that's going to come across in interviews with certain teams, you know, I could see him dropping. And I, I don't know, maybe does he drop all the way out of the first round? I don't know. That might be too extreme, but I wouldn't be surprised. The thing with the draft is you know, it's cliche. We, we hear it. We say it. All it takes is one team to fall in love with you. And if he charms the right people, he'll get drafted early. Yeah, and that's the thing. And there were some people who spoke, you know, completely 180% to the contrary that said, you want to know what, you know, I mean, Baker Mayfield's 8 over 1, he probably didn't need the Senior Bowl. The only thing he needed to do, you know, for most people was, is people wanted a height measurement, they wanted a hand measurement. You know, for all that he went through, that he still, in fact, you know, went to the game and showed up. I mean, he did a gift to them. He didn't necessarily have to go. I don't think it would have changed much because, you know, his tape was his tape. The measurements are what people wanted. So, you know, but the other thing, though, is, is as we get further and further on, where you have established beat members, as they get older, they're going to become more and more unrelatable to 21 22, 23-year-old kids, the gap just continues to get wider and wider because some of the people who are older, you never want to understand, and I know this from the way that my, my kids are being educated, you know, I have a, a fifth-grade daughter who's doing seventh-grade work, and it's not that she is, you know, you know, she's not Doogie Hauser by any means, it's just kids nowadays are generally smarter than when we were younger, that's just the age they grew up in. This is the era, you know, I mean, you know, my daughters were working iPads at two years old. You know, I used to go to my daughter at four and ask her for, hey, help me out here. 
They just this is what they know. They're they are smarter in general, so I think that's going to be an issue, obviously. Um, but you know, so it's just so much there. And you know, and but the funniest thing though is is you know some of the Cleveland beat writers came away with a sour taste, and then what happened this over the weekend? Cleveland decided to ask for the assistance through the draft process from a guy who is known to be a Baker Mayfield lover. So it's interesting, right? Right. Scott McLuhan, the former GM of the, uh, most recently from uh, Washington Redskins, and he's been out of work. So it was in October, he was on Fox Sports Radio, and he said that he would take Mayfield ahead of the big-name guys, Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold, who at the time, way back in October, were basically considered 1A and 1B, and, and probably in many circles still are. So McLuhan back then was saying Mayfield uh, was his choice over those guys. He didn't necessarily say how early he would take Mayfield. But then, uh, you know, fast forward to the Senior Bowl and John Dorsey, the Browns GM, was was defending Mayfield to a point about some of the off the field stuff. Uh, kind of gave a boys will be boys thing about the off season arrest and um, kind of just shrugged off the the whole crotch grabbing thing at Kansas. Uh, Dorsey was at that game, as we know. So, I don't know. There, there are some people that are going to put two and two together here and suggest that this means Mayfield has a great chance of going to the Browns. I don't think we're anywhere close to having that decided. There, you know, we'll, we can talk about this a little later, but there are still reports out there that they don't really have. Uh, they're not enamored with any of the top quarterbacks at number one. And that's causing a lot of angst in the fan base too. But you know, there's now there's some smoke about Mayfield, uh, and uh, McLuhan definitely added to that. Uh, I think what it is, I think they're putting themselves in the best position to get. Uh, they do not want to leave any stone unturned. When you have seven picks within the top ninety-seven, uh, you know, the top ninety-seven of a draft, you want to make sure that you have, you know, your top one hundred of your board is as good as it possibly can be. You've seen it with all the front office hires. They're, you know, the amount of work and the diligence they're going to put into it is going to be insane. They want to know every darn thing possible about every single one of these guys. They want to know whether or not they were nice to their second grade teacher. You know, did they make a decent turkey? You know, when they, you know, for a craft when they were in first grade, when they brought, you know, that they brought home to their mom. They're going all in, which you know, I think, you know, I appreciate, I understand. You do wonder a little bit, is it almost to the point where there's going to be too many egos in the room, too many you know, strong-minded guys in the room when these selections are being made? But look, you know, obviously, you know, strength in knowledge, strength in numbers, you know, that's the approach they're going with here. And, I mean, I have no problem for it. Uh, all right, I guess we'll start here. Justin, this is kind of what I've been doing with everybody when they come on in. First, obviously, you know, for, for a brown guy. Give me a feeling, you know, where you think this roster is at, you know, because most of us, we feel the team is better than it's being given credit for, but obviously when you're a franchise like the Cleveland Browns and you're 1-15 and now you're 0-16, you know, nobody's going to stop with the jokes, understandably so. Uh, Give me some thoughts here on the roster, some things that impressed you, you know, some guys that you like, and, you know, where you feel it is before we start heading into the offseason, you know, as far as acquiring free agents and the draft process. Well, I think if Joe Thomas is coming back, and I, I do think he will come back, I think he's kind of prepping himself for a career in media after he retires. But I still think Joe Thomas comes back. And uh, in that case, then the offensive line is pretty well set heading in, at least as far as the starting five are concerned. 
So I'm not looking at offensive line early. If Joe Thomas retires, then that's a game changer it's and a, everything gaping hole. gaping hole. Yeah, everything goes into flux if if Joe Thomas retires. But let's uh, let's assume that he's coming back. So the offensive line is looking good. You've got two good defensive ends in Garrett and and uh, Emmanuel Agba. You've got a some interesting talent in in the interior D line with. Brantley and Ogunjobi, uh, linebackers, Schobert, Jamie Collins will be back, and uh, Chris Chris Kirksey got the uh, contract extension last year. So obviously the holes you're really looking at are the secondary, the defensive secondary, and people are going to talk about receiver. That might be a, a spot to target during free agency. I still have hope for Corey Coleman. I think he's been kind of snake bit by injuries, and then you have the the pretty good tight ends in DeValve and Njoku. They're both young. They're both tons of athletic upside. So I like some of the receiving. If Josh Gordon obviously can keep his nose clean, then you, you've you got a whole new dynamic with the receiving core. I think they will look to replace Isaiah Crowell. I think he's as good as gone. So the, the focal points right now to me are quarterback, obviously, and um, running back and defensive secondary. But I think the wild card is adding pass rush. I think there you, it's one of those situations. You can never have too much pass rush. We hear about it all the time. And you had Agba and Garrett both, both miss big chunks of time. And behind them, you've got Orchard, Carl Nassib, and you lose a lot. There's a huge drop-off from those first two guys to those next two guys. So I would not be shocked if pass rush is very very high on the list especially when you consider what George, what uh, John Dorsey did in Kansas City um, he had Justin Houston he had Tom Bahali and he was still drafting a D Ford in the first round so that's the wild card for me I think that it's going to be a big focus and so it's just going to depend how the draft board falls but I don't I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people have receiver ahead of defensive end I wouldn't be surprised if defensive end is right there behind quarterback for Dorsey. Yeah, well, and that was also the thing, and I remember the D Ford selection, and apparently, you know, uh, at the time, Tom Bahali had done an off-season weigh-in and was, you know, damn near 290 pounds, so that maybe kind of pushed that there as well. It could be something they address in free agency. Uh, Coney Ely would be an interesting name. He's a guy, you know, uh, we've kind of bandied about. Uh, doesn't get home as much as he'd like, but he is smart with his hands, gets him up. You know, that if you're working in a rotation where it's, you know, maybe Ogba inside or Garrett inside, you know, that might be a guy that you, you're not going to have to spend a lot on and you can just take him in as a pure pass rusher, nickel and dime type of thing. But, yes, yeah, so, you know, plenty of names to be addressed, obviously, through the draft process as well. Uh, before we, you know, we'll get to, you know, and this is the best part is, you know, you can say sometimes, oh, well, you know, oh, well, give me a mock. But when you have 1, 4, 33, and 35, you can ask a guy to give you a mock on a show, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Give me some Justin Higdon heroes, Justin Higdon guys in this draft. Oh uh, yeah, I have I have a lot of guys. I mean, I I want to talk about Saquon Barkley real quick because it seems like he was the guaranteed no doubter heading into this year for two years, and now people are starting to kind of pick him apart. And there's this idea that he's that the next tier of backs is is not that much of a drop-off from Barkley. And I just don't think that it's that simple. Like, I've watched a lot of the running backs throughout the season, and I like a lot of them. Ronald Jones, 
um, Darius Geis, these, a lot of second-tier guys, the guys from Georgia, Chubb and Michelle. But I think Saquon Barkley is is a type of – you don't want to compare guys to Hall of Famers, but I think this is a player who can give you the type of impact that, let's say, Le'Veon Bell or David Johnson would give you, just to use uh, contemporary examples. And if you had those drafts to do over again, those guys would be early – to mid first round picks but what if Barkley's even better than those guys what if he's Marshall Falk or LaDainian Tomlinson you're talking about a potential generational type of running back and that's as you know Jeff that's not a word that I throw around I kind of bristle at that but look what he did this year 1900 yards from scrimmage he's an incredible receiver running back he can score from anywhere on the field and it wouldn't you know, I just think that uh, people are not giving him enough credit anymore. It's kind of weird because coming into the season, I was kind of a Barkley skeptic. And I see some of the same things other people see, like he's trying to hit home runs when he could maybe take a yard or two. But the thing is, sometimes he hits the home runs, and he hits the home runs a lot more than other guys do. So that's one of my guys. I know that's kind of a cop-out because he's such a... It's Honestly, it's not at this point, though, the way he's being treated. Um, and, and here's a guy who easily could have skipped his bowl game, and you want to know what any legitimate draft guy would have said, kid made the right move. But he went and played in it. And I remember, because I, I did actually a couple of shows that night and had it on in the background, and I kept saying to myself, son, take yourself out. Take yourself out. Your program will understand. They'll still love you. And you want to know what? It got to a point where the game got close again, and guess what? He went out onto the field again. And made another huge play. It was just you know, just sitting there cringing for the kid. But you want to know what? And I, I totally agree with you that he's kind of getting discredited at this point. Lives his life in the weight room. I mean, the amount, the, the amount of weight this kid can move as a running back is disgusting. It's almost to the point where you want him to stop. If it was a defensive guy, a linebacker, whatever, go ahead, man, knock yourself out. A skilled guy, you get a little concerned with it, a little nervous. He should test off the charts. Um, maybe, and the thing is, is those things didn't work when his team was against teams that weren't as good as his. Yes, the Ohio State front seven was ten times better, ten times stronger, ten times faster than the Penn State offensive line. So him trying to make the big play didn't work in those scenarios. But, you know, if he gets behind an offensive line where Joe Thomas is back and we know how good the Cleveland offensive line was, yeah, it's going to look a lot prettier. It's going to look a lot different. It's almost to the point where he went to underrated, Way too overrated, and now all of a sudden, hey, Darius Geis, Sony Michelle, they're just as good. Which seems a little, yeah, it, it, it seems a little rough to go that much over a, 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 and basically it's over sixty days of film. It really is. I mean, his, his vision is is not a problem, and uh, I, I, this was one of the concerns I have with Melvin Gordon. But imagine Melvin Gordon's speed uh, having you know two tenths of a second shaved off, and that's what you have with Barkley except you have better vision I think Gordon in a lot of ways was bouncing outside because he didn't see things I think Barkley is bouncing because he knows he can beat them and even in that Ohio State game that you mentioned he still breaks off a 30 plus yard touchdown run and a 90 plus yard kickoff return touchdown in that game even where it seems like he's contained he still gives you two big scores and what it turned out to be a one score game so without Barkley they're not even in it uh, in the position that they were in late in the game so um, I wanted to talk about a, another guy who I think was uh, he got a lot of hype 
after the Senior Bowl, but this is a guy I've been high on even before that, and that's James Washington, the receiver from Oklahoma State. This, all he's done is put up big plays for four years in the Big 12, and I know that the Big 12, part of the criticism of Mayfield is the Big 12 defense is not what you want want it to be from a pro projection standpoint, but Washington goes into the Senior Bowl, and he, he's unguardable. Uh, he's showing off speed that I don't think a lot of people knew that he had. I think he's going to time in the 4-4s. But he measured at 5'10 and 7 eighths, And for some reason, everybody wanted to round that down to 5'10. He's, he's essentially 5'11. He was listed at 6 feet. He was, actually, so, he was listed at 6'1. And see, that's kind of thing. Cause like me, I'll always chuckle. Just put it up. We're going to know eventually what your size is. But yeah, I'm not disagreeing with one iota because if you wanted to make in fun of him that he lost two inches on the flight to Mobile, he did yeah. everything to shut you the hell up afterwards. Yeah, and he's got 34-inch arms too. So when you look at his height, about 5'11 with the 34-inch arms, he actually has a longer, a bigger catch radius than um, a player like Michael Gallup, who's about an inch and a half taller than he is. So, you know, th- this kind of thing evens out. And what James Washington did on the field, it, I think he, like I said, I think he's going to test better than people initially would have thought in Mobile, so or in in Indy. So. Um, that was a player I was I was surprised so many people were kind of down on. People were talking about him like he's Jarvis Landry, that he's a, <laughs> this running back that's only going to catch like seven-yard passes. But I think that Washington did everything he could possibly do to kind of alleviate that concern. He's a guy who averaged almost 20 yards a catch for his whole college career. I think the one thing, before I let you get to your next guy, that that he showed me that week is, Maybe he was a little misused in Oklahoma State because it always seemed like every route he ran was, you know, was a big vertical route. He showed ridiculously good footwork in the short routes. You know, was beating guys within five to six yards of a route, and that's the thing you want to see when you're talking about a guy who has a height of five foot eleven. Obviously, he's got the length to still can be a vertical threat in the NFL. Obviously, with the you know, almost thirty four inch arms, but the footwork on the short routes and it was for me it was like well you had Aitman. Maybe he should have been running the deeper routes, and he could have, you know, he did a little more moving the chains with James Washington. But you know, I agree 100%. He went down there, and at this point, he tests well. I, I'd be stunned if he didn't go within the top 32 selections. Yeah, I think I actually think he's got a good chance of falling out of the first round, and then at that point, he becomes a steal for you. So th- this is a player, you know, and as far as Aitman, I think the reason Aitman wasn't running those routes is because he's not fast enough. And I think that's part of what makes Washington's evaluation before the Senior Bowl, the evaluations I was seeing a lot of people give him, kind of mysterious to me because he was clearly beating defensive backs by a a step and a half, two steps. And if anything, he's having to wait on the ball for Mason Rudolph. So I, I think the speed's there. I'd be surprised if he has a poor combine. Yeah, I'd be stunned. All right, give me all right, a couple more head guys. Let's go. All right, I want to talk about. Uh, I got a. I'm an Ohio State alum, so I got to gloss a couple of Ohio State players. Denzel Ward, the cornerback. I think he's the best cover corner in and uh, in the draft this year. The only problem is he's going to be like five ten, maybe a, a shade under. So there, people are going to act like they're surprised that he's under five ten, but he's he's definitely a short guy. But he's going to run about a four three five four four. And then uh, Billy Price, 
He's the all-time record holder for starts at Ohio State. He's He started at guard. He started at center. I think he's ultimately going to be a guard in the pros because he's he's bigger than uh, Pat Elfline was, and he's more athletic. So those two guys are the best two prospects from Ohio State this year, and I know they've got a, a slew of other guys coming in. I think they have 11 guys at the Combine, but those two, I think, are, will be the first two Buckeyes off the board. Yeah, I, I think it was 11, and I, I think Alabama had you know, 14, so there's 25 of the 300-plus guys. But, uh, yes, guys, uh, Combine lists came out today, so it was kind of interesting because there's been so much back and forth on, you know, this guy's in, he's out. You know, I, I know the, the wide receiver uh, Fountain from, uh, obviously, Northern Iowa. He was the guy even tweeted out, I think it was in the last day or so, that he was actually going. Then the official list comes out today, and he's not going. So it, it's tough to just see the way it goes. I mean, obviously, all these kids know what it means. Um, but, you know, we got some lists. And I know you put out the tweet, and I know you went through it. Uh, and so uh, your list of guys are kind of surprised you by the first ones who were, you know, obviously you know, omitted today, bud. The the omissions today that stood out to me, uh, Kyle Allen, the quarterback, he was from Texas A&M and then Houston. He was a five-star recruit out of high school, rated by rivals, and ne- never really caught on as a full-time starter. But you don't see too many underclassmen declare, uh, underclass quarterbacks declare, and then go uninvited to the combine. I think the last time we saw this was Brett Smith from Wyoming a few years ago. Uh, Puna Ford, defensive lineman from Texas. But as I wrote at Revenge of the Birds today, they're not, there's not going to be enough support from the scouting community for a defensive lineman who's under six feet tall. So Ford went to the Senior Bowl and the Shrine Game, both places measured under six feet tall, and he is out. Uh, Cody O'Connell kind of the opposite case he's a offensive lineman from washington state he's 6'9 365 but he's not quick enough on his feet to play tackle and he's too tall by a lot of scouting estimates to play guard so he's out uh they don't like his build similarly joe osman who led the fbs in sacks this year yep. he's from central michigan and he measured at about 6'2", two, I think 6'2", 245 or so at the Shrine game, which is a tweener size. He's not athletic enough to play linebacker, but he's not big enough to be your prototypical defensive end. So he's out. And then, as you mentioned, Fountain, that was a surprise. But Ito Smith, the running back from Southern Miss, he's probably the biggest surprise to me. Uh, he was a senior bowl invite. He's a guy who's had three straight years of at least 1,100 yards rushing, the last two over 1,400 yards each year. He's also had 40 catches each of the last three years. He's had at least 13 total touchdowns each of the last three years. When you see a guy that's that productive, he measured at 5'9", 201. So he's he's small, but he's pretty well built for a little guy. Uh, I just don't see why he was left out. I, it's, it's almost This was the biggest oversight to me, and I don't know – He's not a household name, but the draft Knicks love him. Some of them are even comparing him to LaShawn McCoy. I think that's a bridge too far, but Ito Smith was my biggest snub. Well, first off, with Kyle Allen, do we need to see more of you know Tanner Lee from Nebraska? I don't think we need to see any more. So maybe there was an op- Maybe there was a guy you know Allen could have gone in for, and everybody with Lee was kind of like, 
he just maybe declared for the draft because it was like maybe just get myself you know closer to the path of coaching. Uh, Ido Smith, uh, do we need to see a running back from Fordham before we see a guy from Southern Miss? Um, you know, I you know watched his bowl game. He was a handle for Florida State. He was very difficult for them to deal with until the game got out of hand and he was basically rendered useless. So it, it's weird the way this works. Um, you normally think, you know, as a guy, you get your senior bowl invite, you know, usually the next stop is, hey, guys, you shake everybody's hand, we'll see you guys in Indianapolis, you know, good luck to everybody, you know, good luck with the workouts, you know, everybody does the pounds all around and stuff, so it was definitely odd on that. Um, It's weird that they kind of cap the numbers that the way they do, and, you know, I I don't know, know, the voting process or, you you know, this, you know, whether it's a black ball process of, you know, seven, eight, nine, you're in, but... There's always some guys on the outside looking in. It just always just seems to just drive me insane. Because, look, I mean, we all love the combine. So you want to know what? If, you know, you had to add one or two more running backs or one or two more wide receivers to the workouts, who the hell is really going to care? You've got 19 quarterbacks there anyway. So you got enough guys throwing the ball. You'll be all right. So it just seems weird, you know, in that respect. And, you know, it is kind of funny, you know, from a standpoint that, you know, as an offensive lineman, you can't go to the combine because maybe you're too big. I mean, what is he, Pop <laughs> Warner? He's he's too big. I mean, it, it sounds weird, I know, but I I really believe that. I've heard that from guys. We had uh, Graham Glasgow was a center at Michigan a couple of years ago, and he was about six six. And people were were telling me he's too tall to play center. And I was like, well, that's where his best tape is. His best tape's at center. Nope, he's too tall. So y- you see a guy we. There's a guy, Alex Boone, who's had a long career. He's about 6'8", and he's had a long career playing guard in the NFL. But that's kind of an anomaly. You don't see guards above 6'4", 6'5", and and, uh, O'Connell is 6'9". And, you know, uh, my buddy Owen Reese, who's an O-line guy, he's a Wisconsin guy, he just said said they don't need to see O'Connell in this setting. He's not going to test well, and he's enormous. We already know those two things about him, so – if you like him, you're going to like him, and if you don't, you already don't. So that's kind of why it, it is weird to think that a, a huge offensive lineman's being left out because he's too huge, but that's what it is. Well, he can always go, go ahead and sign with the WWE, maybe play in the XFL or you know, go win the heavyweight <laughs> championship over there. I mean, he'll probably hang out on a, on a roster for a long time, but he's, they don't need to see him test. Well, I mean, you know, but we can understand that, though. But, I mean, who in the world wants to watch a guy that big run a 40 anyway? You know, <laughs> right. guys, just go to the tape. Just go to the tape. Just go to the tape. Yeah, I mean, if I were him, I would just sit on it and not, not even work out. It, just just do the O-line drills. Yeah, exactly. Show up there, you know, some long hair, a nasty-ass goatee, and just scare the living bejesus out of people. Exactly. <laughs> and you want to know what? 75, like we were talking about pre-show, 75% of the NFL front offices are so old regard. You know, I always remember the Parcells line about Bavaro. Oh, that's stone face. That guy, he scares me. All right, they need to bring me in one of those guys. You know, the you know the the guy getting off the bus passes the off the bus test. But now, Justin, this is where we're going to make it a little bit interesting. Like I said, it's fun that we can do this when you have four picks in the top thirty-five. You know, can have guys on and say, "Hey, fill me some needs here." Um, look, obviously, everybody's going to want to know your selection at one, but one, four, thirty-three, thirty-five. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, guys, because then there is 64. Then there is 65. Then there is – I mean, it is – 
I mean, I hate to say it, and you know, because I'm new to this, and all you guys, oh well, you have not seen things get Browns, you know, quote unquote. But you, I don't care if it is not the most phenomenal draft class ever. When you got seven picks of the top 97 players, you should be able to get some damn damage done. But Justin, I'm going to saddle you with this. You know, little, you know, give me a little follow with each pick. But pick one, pick four, pick 33, pick 35. Add to what's been already put here over the last two years. Okay, so I'm going to buy. I'm I, I, before I do this draft. I want to let everyone know I'm buying the rumor from Tony Pauline that says that uh, the Browns are not enamored with any one quarterback to go number one overall. And I know that's going to anger people. Um, I hope they're in the lockdown Browns mentions tomorrow on Twitter, but you know, the, you, the reason I'm, <laughs> the reason I'm buying that is not that I don't buy that. They don't like the class. What I'm buying is that they like more than one quarterback well enough to be okay with getting one of their two top guys at, at the uh, fourth pick. And, that's, you know, you're in danger of somebody trading up to the indie pick at number three, but I think they're willing to roll the dice Indy's to a certain extent. Right, now. right, I think they're willing <laughs> to roll the dice here to a certain extent. So I'm, I'm going to say they're going Saquon Barkley at number one because that is the other thing. Uh, Dorsey supposedly loves Saquon Barkley, thinks he's a game changer. But As I mentioned, I do too. Pick, I had... You know, a bunch of guys on early in the year, and obviously this is when Saquon was white hot. And, mm-hmm. it, and the thing I said is if Todd Gurley worked out at 10, and Ezekiel Elliott worked out where he did, and obviously Leonard Fournette worked out at 4, the, the, this misnomer of if you think the back is that good, one, isn't that insane? It's not. No, you have the positional value argument, which I totally get, and normally I would I would totally agree with but the thing that you have to weigh there is the total talent in the entire class and the talent differential between the first guy at the position to the next guy at the position. So last year, Miles Garrett, everyone said, you know, clear cut, he's the number one guy. And this year, I think Barkley's kind of the same player, except he's at running back, which isn't a position that has that same value. So that's what's giving people a ton of trouble. And I get it. I understand it. Fantasy football people hate it they're gonna hate this pick but um just for fun that's that's where i'm going because i i think it's for for one thing it's been since 1995 kajana carter another penn mm-hmm. state guy was the last running back pick number one he had an unfortunate uh knee injury that ended his career early but that notwithstanding i'm, I'm going with barkley here at number one just to you know just to put a wrench in the works because i i there's a couple of these rumors I'm talking about, and just to put that possibility out there, because everybody's looking at quarterback one, I think this is a real realistic possibility, and it still leaves me at four to get Sam Darnold. And I, in order to make this pick work, I still think they're targeting a veteran in free agency. It's probably going to be somebody like Chase Daniel, not an exciting veteran, but somebody but see, who can we, hold we, All of us who know the, who are following this team. We really value what Chase Daniel can do. The Philadelphia yeah. Eagles paid him $11.1 million for one year of work. And this was a guy who had him in, Can- had him in Kansas City, got the job in Philadelphia, 
and said, look, I want you to come instill this with everybody. I, I think people undervalue, yes, Chase Daniel is still an active player, but he's an active player who is a coach on the field. People don't want to get it. And even if he had to play a game or two at worst, that's fine. But here's a guy that's bringing you ten times more. Yeah, it's a guy Dorsey knows, and it's a guy he's actually mentioned when he's talked about Mayfield as a comparison, which ironically is the comparison I made um, about a month before that um, just from watching old college highlight tapes. Uh, Chase Daniel was a great college quarterback. I think he's underappreciated. And I I honestly think if he was coming out today, he'd be looked at a little bit differently. But uh, at at the top pick in the second round – this guy, I was I was doing a fan speak mock. I love fanspeak.com. I was using Matt know, Miller's I'll, board. And, and let's actually push this. Uh, you know, uh, Justin is covering the Arizona Cardinals. I'm doing the New York Jets. Our good buddy Stephen Thomas has set up dailymockdraft.com. Guys, check it out. I mean, follow your favorite team. Look, it helps. Yeah, I know some guys, oh, mock draft, oh, they're too early. Look, why readers like it is there are not people who are as obsessed with this as we are. So when they look at it and see names that are a third, fourth, fifth round, sixth round pick, and if they didn't go to their alma mater or they didn't go to the team that they follow, that's what they're looking for. So it, it is a useful tool, guys. People like mock drafts. It brings Yeah, and we're doing a, a new mock draft every day for every team. We're putting uh, links to highlight videos in there, so it's it's definitely worth, worth checking out, dailymockdraft.com. Goes well and, with lunch. Uh, Goes well with lunch. <laughs> And using using the, the same technique that we use for that site, I was using FanSpeak and I was using Matt Miller's board. And so at the top of the second round, I got Christian Kirk at 33 overall. He's a receiver out of Texas A&M. Some people might see that as, as redundant with Corey Coleman, but I kind of see it more as a best player available type of situation and uh, uh, some insurance because Coleman has missed a lot of time with injuries. And I think Kirk's going to be a 4-4 guy. He's tested very well at a high school. He's put on some weight. He's an exciting player. He's a guy who can put up big numbers in the slot. And he's a, number, a guy who's played well on third downs and in the red zone. So, I, you know, he's a solidly built kid. He's like 5'11", 200, 200, 210 pounds. So this is a player that our my good friend Emery Hunt, football game plan, Dot com. He compares him to Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I'm not ready to make that leap. But if you can get a guy like that at the top of the second round, that's where I went. And, I, and like I was saying earlier, I don't even think receiver is, is, is critical right now. But and, it, and, no, and I understand. And I, I, you know, I understand people are a little soured on Coleman on the missed time. And, and I understand, look, Josh, Josh Gordon, it's difficult when you have one of the five most talented wide receivers in the game, but he is an inch away from you'll never see him again. Yep. And nobody wants to see Bryce Treggs. Nobody wants to see Sammy Coates. And God knows the Kenny Britt fiasco. So I, I do think you need to bring in some addition there because regardless, even if it's a veteran car, quarterback of a Chase, McDan- Chase Daniels stature or it's a you know a, a, an early pick like a Sam Darnold or if something happens where Deshaun Kaiser's getting some reps, they can't be going to Jags. You need some guys with some talent. It's great that you have young, talented tight ends, but if you don't have wide receivers that can take the coverage away, it doesn't help that you got these guys that can blow up on underneath type stuff. Right, and, and with the 
last year I thought they went really strong. Actually, the last couple of years I thought they went a long way towards strengthening the defensive side of the ball. So my thought early on here was to support a, a young quarterback. And by getting Barkley, by getting Christian Kirk, you've got guys who can make catches in the short area and really help. Um, hopefully Hugh Jackson wises up and uses a shorter passing game to ease a young guy along. But I think that this can really make a, a, a young quarterback comfortable if you surround him with guys like this. Absolutely. All right, so that leaves us to pick. Uh, that would be 35, and I had to argue with somebody this week on Twitter that it was pick 36. Guys, at this point, come on, just do some little <laughs> research. You, you know what team's picks are at this point, guys. We're going with, yeah, it's, we got 35 according to fan speak, and that's good enough for me. So it I, is 35. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I went defensive line, um, but I couldn't get an edge here. I couldn't get an edge rusher at 35, but what I did get was Harrison Phillips from Stanford. He's one of my favorite grinders this year. He's like, uh, he, he was a big time run stuffer, tackle for loss guy, and just gets so much penetration just by moving the uh, offensive lineman back into the backfield. He just is always around the football, and I feel like a guy like Harrison Phillips is could really, really open things up for Ogunjobi inside, for Miles Garrett and Ogba on the outside. I, I think he would be a player who could really, if not start, I mean, we know how defensive lines work now. It's a huge rotation, and, and Phillips would be a guy who gets into the rotation day one and just makes his presence felt. I, he's one of my favorite guys that it doesn't seem like anybody talks about. And it's crazy because he put up ridiculous production. Insane. Yeah. I mean, he put up middle linebacker numbers. He's just such a he's just like he's like one of those guys that's a wrestler and just like so strong and so relentless. So he has he has all the motor and all the strength that you like and I think he's going to test pretty well as an athlete too. So Stanford guys usually do. Oh, absolutely. And you know, and even still like an edge can still be added. There's still another pick in the second round. There's still another pick in the third round, guys. There's still free agency. You bring a Coney Ealy into this. And 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 the problem that we saw last year with this defensive line was it, it was mismanaged at times where, you know, they subbed out the entire first unit. No, let's do it a little bit more like, you know, a baseball lineup. You know what? Miles Garrett, go take two plays off. All right. You know, Emmanuel Agba, go take two plays off. Danny Shelton, take two plays off. Continue with the, the freshness. Don't be doing wholesale substitutions. You're going to get killed that way. But, you know, that's kind of what happens when, you know, the wheels fall off on a team that's just doing anything they can to try and grab onto one victory, you know? Exactly. And, you know, Jeff, I cheated because I had to finish that second round on Fanske, on Fanske. Right. So I did get uh, the last one at 64. I got Hercules Mata Afa. So there's your edge help there. He was an interior guy at Washington State, but he's only about 250 to 260 pounds. He's going to have to move outside. But there's another guy in the rotation for your pass rush. And exactly. I mean, look, I mean, you could put Agba inside. We know Miles Garrett can go inside. Ogan Joby, I, I will tell you right now, I keep saying on the show, guys, he gives you some baby Warren Sapp. He has not played football as long as Warren Sapp played until the point where he got, you know, the NFL. Larry Ogan Joby is special talent. You know, Caleb Brantley with his height. I mean, if anything, get a little penetration and stand as tall as you can, young man. That will be a way to assist it. Uh, you know, there are, you know, the secondary help can be acquired through free agency as well. Spend some of that money that way. 
it's a lot more promising. And this is kind of what hurts me is there's so many that are so down, but I don't think it's that far off. And I got to be honest, when I started, you know, I took it over and I started watching. I'm like, these guys are not nearly as bad as it looks. They're not nearly as bad as the record indicates. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, it, it it all came down to a rookie quarterback being way, way in over his head and, and a coach a who just wasn't adjusting to it. Yeah. And in a terrible situation. From yeah, it was, it was awful. Yeah. All right, guys, Locked On MLB. Uh, look, we're only eight days away, guys. Uh, Locked On MLB, it is new for this year. Uh, most of the shows are up. Check it out. Cubs, Yankees, you know, whatever your flavor is, Locked On MLB, they got you covered. Uh, you just continue to grow here, the partnership with FanRag. We appreciate everybody over there. Uh, Justin, before we get any go, uh, any uh, closing thoughts for us here, bud? Uh, you know, I'm just excited. I, I, I the combine is one of my favorite uh, events of the year. I love to. Uh, you, I've recently been studying kind of how I can use it in my evaluation. So I'm I kind of nerd out on that. And um, but I am sad because the Super Bowl was the last actual live football we're going to see for until the end of July. So you know, outside of the combine, we don't really have a lot to look forward to but we always have the takes to look forward to jeff and as you know <laughs> i am a a connoisseur of hot takes so i'll be scanning my twitter timeline and uh, collecting all that i can and and uh, maybe even make a little podcast come back myself here soon uh, well until that time justin you've always got a home here guys locked on browns episode 158 um and like justin said about the combine look uh you know, so many guys, and, you know, guys that I know Justin appreciates, you know, uh, Kent Plott, uh, James Coburn, they do fantastic work with that. I, I love to use the analytics stuff as far as, you know, a case for a prospect. You know, everybody wants to make everything 100% analytics, you know, as far as a drafting strategy. I will use it for the player. I won't use it necessarily for a drafting player, for draft, you know, for the drafting of my team. You know, like Justin did here, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley at one. Oh, whoa, 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 it's too much. No, if the player's just that damn good, just do it. And you want to know why I'm doing it? It's because I appreciate him analytically. I appreciate him because of his tape. Uh, I appreciate Justin Higgins. Guys, follow him at AFC, AFC to NFC, correct? Yep, AFC, the number two NFC, yep. There, there we go. Obviously, you know, uh, his draft coverage over at, uh, you know, Revenge of the Birds. Check us all out. Uh, you know, our buddy Stephen Thomas, he took his vision, took it a little bigger. We're having some fun with it. DailyMockDraft.com. We're having a blast over there with that, guys. Uh, We'll talk to you all tomorrow night. Uh, Let's go Browns.